And this is God's word to you because he's given you eternal life. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause of stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's uh, pray together. I had a bit of a busy week, so I especially need your prayers as we uh, turn to this passage together. So let's pray together. Our Lord, we pray that you would take your word and that you would speak it to the struggles and uh, the the finiteness, uh, our, our fragile lives, that you would speak the truth of your word to our struggles. And uh, would we, as we read your word, would we find out that you do know us, that you understand us? And uh, we ask your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to understand this passage and to teach us about assurance. And um, I pray uh, that you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. And uh, that you would uh, teach us things, the mysteries of the gospel, as we set our hearts to study your word now. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So uh, we're looking at uh, the topic of assurance this morning. Uh, Assurance meaning, uh, you know, can I know that God really loves me, that I'm one of his children, uh, that, that I will be with him forever and ever, that I will go to heaven when I die, that I am saved, that my sins have been forgiven. Can I really know that? Can I know that? Absolutely. Because, you know, uh, on the one hand, we come here uh, every week. You know, you just heard Paul uh, during the assurance of pardon saying, you know, it's not based on anything that we do to uh, earn God's acceptance of us, God's love for us. There's nothing that we do. It's what Christ has done for us. And yet, uh, for many of us, most people, whether you're Christian or not, have know at least to some extent there are people who are in churches or in, uh, you know, that call themselves Christians that aren't really Christians, right? They, they maybe take the name of Christians. Uh, they, they tell people that they're Christians. They say they're a Christian. They claim to be a Christian, but they're, they're not. They may, maybe they're hypocrites. Maybe they're, they've deceived themselves. And actually, I was just, I was at this meeting with a group of pastors this week, and this guy, one of the pastors, he had just taken a new church, and he was getting to know the people, the members of his church. It turned out there was a family that were, there was, there were Mormons that were in his church, and um, which Mormons actually, they don't believe that Jesus is God, they don't believe in the Trinity, which are fundamental uh, beliefs of what it is to be a Christian, and, uh, and, but they said, you know, well, we like the social life in this church and he said well 
This isn't what it is to be a Christian. This is what we believe. And, uh, and he didn't even know that. And so there's a question of, um, on the one hand, um, there's a sense that we have to ask ourselves the question, am I really a Christian? Uh, do, I, do I really believe? Am I, am I a real Christian or am I a Christian just in name? I'll tell you, that's a very delicate question to start asking. Uh, one of the reasons, especially as an American, because uh, you are a part of the Amer- American church, and in the American church is, has really grown out of uh, two events that happened in the 18th and the 19th century, the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. These are these two great revivals in America where lots of people came to be Christians. And how the revivals happened was uh, there was all these people who were Christian in name, but they really didn't believe in Jesus. And so these preachers, they went around, and their goal was to convince everyone, listen, you think you're Christians, but you're not. <laughs> and they had to first convince them they weren't Christians in order to introduce them to who Jesus really was. Now, the thing about revivals, revivals are great. That was a great time in our history. But revivals are like medicine. They're medicine for a sick church. But medicine is not good to feed a child. It's it's not good food. (laughs) And if you take the medicine of revivalism and you bring it into a church and you say, well, you know, i got to convince everyone they're not Christians so that I can turn them into Christians, that can be dangerous and suffocating in a church. So this is a delicate topic when you begin to start telling Christians, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're not right with God, and you think you are. And, uh, you know, I've actually, I've talked to pastors who've told me that, that they believe that half their church at least are really not Christians. So their job on Sunday morning is to convince half the people in their church, listen, you're not really Christians. And so they beat them up and tell them how bad they are so that they'll come in and embrace Christ. And maybe that's true, but that's quite a gamble to take. And so what happens, what's happened in the church, maybe, maybe you've experienced this when you've grown up in the church, that people grow up in the church and they accept Jesus into their heart a dozen times, and maybe you've been baptized multiple times because I'm never really quite sure if I am in or, or if I, I've been made right with God, if I've really been forgiven. And uh, so in the Protestant church, you know, we're rebaptizing and re, re uh inviting Jesus into our heart over and over again because we're never really sure. And, and you know, that happens in the Catholic Church, too. There's a, a similar where I, I come to Mass and I'm in a state of grace, but maybe if I, if I sin, then maybe I've fallen out of a state of grace. And in either way, we have this sense of my standing before God is always in flux. And so it's a very delicate question of how can I be sure that I'm really a child of God, I've really been saved, I've really been washed. And I'll tell you what's happening in this, this letter we're reading about... Uh, First John, um, the issue here, John was kind of the overseer of the, uh, the churches in Ephesus. And there were a number of false teachers that he, he calls in this book antichrists, antichrists who, were, who were, uh, had kind of gone into the church and they were teaching some false things. One of the main things that they were teaching was they were, they were troubling people's sense of assurance and their confidence that they're really God's. And they were saying, well, you know, do you have this high level of knowledge that we have? Are you really, does God really love you? Are you really his children? And one of the things that John is trying to hammer home to these Christians is a sense of assurance that they can know that they're children of God. Let me just read to you a few things from this book. You know, in chapter 3, this is what John says to them. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
And so we are children of God. You see what he's, uh, and then in, in uh, chapter four, he says this, this, by this is love perfected so that we may have confidence before the day of judgment. We have confidence. We have assurance because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And then at the very end of the letter, this is what he says. He's going to say, this is my whole point in writing this letter. This is the purpose of this letter. This is what he says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so John wants us to have assurance. He wants us to have confidence. He doesn't want us to be in flux, back and forth. Am I in? Am I out? Did I, did I fall in and out of grace? What happened? He doesn't want that to happen. And so he's going to give us a test. This is how you can know. Which, of course, is a two-edged sword, right? There is an element to that as we come to the test to find out that maybe we aren't really Christians. <laughs> and so uh, this is a delicate topic as we uh, tiptoe into the question of assurance. Uh, what I want to do is I want to ask two questions to this passage. First of all, how do we know that we know? How do we know that we know God? How do we know that we're his children? How do we know that we know? But second of all, how do we test that we know? Okay, so this is how we know, but how do we go about testing ourselves? How do we test ourselves that we know? How do we question ourselves to find out, am I really a Christian? So we're going to answer those uh, two questions and hopefully find a healthy way to go forward with the question of assurance. So first, first question, how do we know that we know? And uh, of course, John in the beginning of the passage I just read to you, answers it very clearly. Uh, and he says uh, in verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, this is actually very consistent with the words of Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, a lot of questions there. Uh, first of all, one thing that we have to say outright is that this is not some kind of perfectionism. Do you keep the commandments perfectly? Because just a few verses ago, John said to them at the beginning of his letter, if anyone says that they do not have sin in their life, you know, that's to say if anyone says that they keep the commandments perfectly, they're deceiving themselves and the truth is not in them. So it can't mean that uh, we keep the commandments perfectly. That can't be what, uh, what he's talking about. But it's very interesting. What, according to John, that on the one hand, the way that we're made right with God, the way that God accepts us is not based on anything that we do. It's based on what Christ has done for us. And yet, if we believe that, if we embrace the love of Christ, a true faith will always want to obey God. It will respond by saying, I want to obey you. I want to do... I want to do uh, what you say. Um, and that's because part of the way that God, when God saves us, when God enters into our life, he step, barges into our life, one of the things is he, he does is he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new love for new things. So we will end up uh, obeying him. Even though that's not what makes us right, it will always result in fruit in our life. And so um, one of the questions is if he says, how do we know that we know? If we keep his commandments. This is a crucial question. What are the commandments then? If he says to keep the commandments, that's how we're going to test ourselves. That's how we're going to ask ourselves, am I really a Christian? What are the commandments that he tells us to keep? Because I'll tell you, Christians a lot of times have this sense of, okay, I know that there's real Christians and fake Christians in the church. So we need to find out what is the sign that 
of a, the real ones. And so we generally take things that we think are particularly important that the Bible talks about. Maybe, we say, you know, depending on how much you read the Bible or maybe how much you pray or how much you care for the poor or, uh, you know, maybe in a more charismatic kind of setting, how much you speak in tongues or, or you know, have emotional experiences of God, how deep uh, are those emotional experiences in our context is probably how much theology do you know? You know, how much, you know, are you reading? Do you really understand the Bible and, and what you believe? And we make all these kinds of tests to say this is what marks out the real Christians from the fake ones. And often what we're doing is that all of us, we have a tendency to have little pet virtues that we think this is what is really important, that this is the really important thing that Christians should do. And we draw lines with our little pet virtues, and we tend to overlook the other virtues that maybe aren't as central in our lives. And so, uh, so the question is, when John draws a line, what are the commandments that he says are a sign that we're true believers. Where does he draw the line? Well, actually, I put this on page three of your bulletin just because I think there's a, a, a terribly important verse in 1 John where he tells us these are the commandments. Chapter 3, verse 23, and this is his commandment that you believe, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. You want to test... What is it, Mark? How do we know if we know God? Is have we come to believe in Jesus, and has that result in us loving each other? That's the test. That's the thing to look for. These two things: believing in Jesus, and loving people. And uh, actually, Apostle Paul says the same thing in Galatians five: For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor un- uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, working through love. Have you come to believe in Jesus? And, and come to love each other. Now, these two things, actually, you notice that in chapter 3, it doesn't say these are the commandments. This is the commandment. It's one, because these two things are so close to each other. And uh, now, follow me here for a second. I'll show you how these two things, I, I think, they come together in this passage we're looking at. Look at ver- chapter 2, verse 5 again. This is what he says. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Now, what does all that mean? Whoever keeps his word and the love of God is perfected. Well, in the beginning of 1 John, his word is, uh, this is what he said, that which we heard from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life is the gospel. John said, I, the word is, is Christ who's come and, and met us. So whoever holds on to Christ and has been loved by Christ that love comes into us and it finds its fullness. It finds the work that it was supposed to do in, a, in us when it results in us learning to love other people. And um, what that means is that the, cent- the centerpiece of what it means to be a Christian is that I find out that I'm a sinner and that I've come to God and he's been gracious. He's forgiven me. And so I go out into the world, I can't help forgiving people. Look at how much God's forgiven me. God's been gracious to me. I can't help but be, you know, God's been kind and gentle and compassionate with me. And, and the sign that I've really grasped that is that I can't help but start doing that with other people, and especially with other Christians. That's one of the things that he's going to bring out, especially people in this community, that you begin to be gentle and forgiving. And, uh, you know, Jesus has this uh, parable that he tells in, in Matthew where uh, it's a story about a king and the king had this uh, servant who owed him 10,000 talents, which 10,000 talents is 200,000 years wage. <laughs> 
200,000 years wage this guy owed him. And he comes, he's like, oh, you know, give me some time. I, I can scrape it together. You know, I'll get the 200,000 years wage together. And the king says to him, listen, uh, your whole debt is forgiven. 200,000 year wage. And then the guy turns around and he walks out the door and this other guy owed him a, a day's wage, one day's wage, a denarius. <laughs> and he grabs him by the throat and he says, give me my denarius, you know. And the, king, and the, and the, the point of this parable is that Jesus sa- is saying, listen, I'm a king and I want to fill my kingdom with people who are compassionate, who are forgiving, who are kind, who are gracious, who are patient, who are gentle. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to be gracious and compassionate and gentle with you. And the way I know that it's really hit your heart is it's going to show up in how you treat other people. That is the center. And if you're going to ask yourself, how do I know that I know? This is the test that he's given us. Have I believed in Jesus? And has it impacted me so that now I start to love people? And in this passage, I'll tell you, uh, let me just draw out a couple of things here. Um, these two things, believing in Jesus and then loving one another, are the two things that uh, John brings out throughout this letter. And in this passage, it's the second one of loving one another that comes out in this passage. And you can see this uh, here in verse 7 where it says, Beloved, I'm writing to you, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, um, when Jesus talks about the new commandment in the Gospel of John, he says the new commandment is that you'd love one another. And, uh, and John says this is a new thing. Jesus didn't make that up. You know, if you ever thought that Jesus made up the idea that, you know, you should love your neighbor as yourself, that shows up way back in Leviticus uh, 19. Uh, it, that was an old commandment. And actually, he even says here, it's the commandment that came from the beginning. And any Christian who reads the words in the beginning... That stirs up certain memories of things in us that we go even further back than, Levit- than Leviticus, that that's the commandment from in the beginning, from the creation. And he's kind of stirring our imaginations to see that love, loving one another, that simple acts of gentleness and kindness and compassion, generosity, is more ancient than mountains and oceans and you know, fossils, uh, than the forms of the land and the earth. Love is older than that. And he says, this is the command from the beginning, the deep reality of, of, of who God is, is to love one another. And, uh, and so th- are we stepping into that when we've encountered the gospel? When we say, I believed in Jesus, I've, I've come to find what he's done for me. Has it hit us in that way? That's part of the question. And then uh, he goes on. Um, uh, and says, uh, you, you see this, uh, that, that he goes on to highlight this loving one another um, in verse 9. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Okay? So how do we know that we know? Here's the test. It's, quite, it's very simple. He's not laying burdens of you've got to do this long list of things in order to please God. It's a question of has the gospel hit you in a way so you've started to love people. Now, the second question, though, is how do we test ourselves and how do we test that we know? How do we use that information to ask ourselves the question, am I really a Christian? Let me just begin by saying a few ways that we should not test ourselves. Okay, so first of all, I don't think the test of whether we're a Christian could, should come through asking, do we have doubts? Um, every Christian has doubts. Okay, um, we're, we're learning about the infinite 
mysterious creator of the universe. We're going to have a lot of questions. <laughs> there's going to be things that don't make sense. You should expect that, that when you, if you're interacting with the real God, there's going to be things about him that are inexplicable to you. And the only thing that God, you know, in the Psalms shows us, he just wants us to tell him those things. Tell him our doubts. Tell him our questions. But that's not a sign. If you're wrestling with doubts, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Okay? So that's not, that's not the test. Another thing is that Christians sin. Do I sin? That shouldn't be a test, the test that you're asking yourself. Well, I'm struggling with sin. I've been struggling with the same sin for maybe years. Is that a mark that maybe I'm not a Christian? And that's not, he says, if you say I have no sin, you've deceived yourself and the truth isn't in you. You're going to have sin with you in your life. There's going to be sins that you're going to carry to the grave and you won't be freed from until you go into glory to be with God. So that's not the test of do I sin. But another test, another way we shouldn't test ourselves about whether we're Christians is by comparing ourselves to other people. And uh, I'll tell you why it's important. You know, C.S. Lewis in his great book, Mere Christianity, he has a section where he talks about um, the, the complaint that many people have where, uh, where they say, you know, I know so-and-so, this chap, he's charming, he's winsome, he listens to people well, he's generous, and he's not a Christian. And then I know this, this old crotchety lady who goes to church every week but uh, is, uh, you know, terrible to be around, very harsh on people. And, you know, how can you say that you believe in Christianity, that Christianity is the truth when you have this person who's not a Christian, there's such a better person than this person who is. And what Lewis says is he says, well, you know, you can't just compare people to one another because Jesus, when he got a hold of them, he started with different Starting points, right? This guy may have grown up in a family where he was loved, he was cared for, um, he was shown how to listen to people and, and, uh, and treat people well. And so he, where he started was way up here. And maybe, you know, maybe she was uh, left without a family. And, and she has every reason in the world not to believe that God is good. And it's a miracle that here she is. And, and the question is, is not how do you compare to other people? But the, the question is, where would I have been without Jesus? <laughs> How much more do I have now that I have Jesus? That's the thing. And have I begun to love people more? Where was this old lady (laughs) before she had Jesus? How much worse would she be if she didn't have Christ? And so uh, we can't judge ourselves. Am I really a Christian by comparing to the other guy over there? Well, he reads the Bible a lot, or that guy prays a lot, or that guy uh, is serving in church a lot. That's not the question. And so the test is, we take these two things. First of all, do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe that he is God, come as a man, Uh, that I cannot strive to please God, but I need God to come to me in Christ. And has he rescued me and washed my sins? And I believe that it's because of him that I'll be with God forever. Do you believe that? And has that hit you in a way that you can't help but feel that you need to love people and, and that you love people more than you did before. You love especially Christians more because you have this understanding with them that you know what it's like to be a sinner who's, who's been saved by grace. And so now let's take those two things. Let's say you first come and you say, well, um, I don't love people. <laughs> I don't love Christians. I see, maybe that's, you're sitting there and you say, well, I see a bitterness in my heart. I see hardness in my heart. Um, and, you know, that could be something that you're, you're just struggling with right now. But what do you do with that? Let's say that is you. Does that mean uh, there's no hope for you? <laughs> no. Just tell him. Just tell Jesus, I don't have love in my heart for people. That's what he wants you to do. Just go back to chapter 1. If you don't have 
First John chapter 2, go back to chapter 1 where he says, confess your sins to him and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and for, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can't do chapter 2, go back to chapter 1. And, uh, and I'll tell you, you know, I, I, uh, last two weeks ago we talked about chapter 1 and, and I, I, Paul Fredette and I had a good conversation about my sermon. And, um, you know, this was something that hit me. I, if you were here, I was talking about how John talks about walking into the light. That we should live in the light, and that walking in the light means that we're going to be exposed. And I gave this illustration when I snuck out of my house, and this big, harsh, white uh, motion sensor kind of caught me in my neighbor's yard in the middle of the night. And, and, you know, I was kind of giving that's the picture of what walking into God's light is like. You know, it's not really what it's like at all. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what walking to God's light is more like. It's more like when you've been living in Bellingham from... Uh, October uh, to the 4th of July and the sun comes out and you know I was talking to Randy Williams who's a counselor in our church this week and he said you know his, he, his workload he's you know he has people like four weeks out for counseling in February but in the summer you know his workload goes down quite a lot just because the sun has come out and let me just tell you when you do that when you just tell God I have bitterness in my heart I don't love people you're walking into the light and it's the light of sunshine it's the light of warmth it's the light of comfort it's the light where God wants to embrace you and he uh, it's warmth and, and gentleness and the thing that John is saying is that if you walk into that light as a sinner you say God my heart is full of bitterness my heart is selfish towards people and you find that there's warmth, there's arms around you, there's an embrace, that will begin to work gentleness in you. It will begin to work compassion in you and love for other people. It just will do that. That's the power of it, okay? So the first question is, if you say, well, I don't love people, what do I do? You just tell him. <laughs> tell him. And uh, he'll, he'll move you from chapter one to chapter two. But second... Some of you might say, well, I don't believe in Jesus. I would say, I, I just don't believe, it, believe in Jesus. But again, what should you do? <laughs> Tell him. Tell him you don't believe in him. Because what the Bible tells us is that faith is a gift. It is something that God has to give to you. And just ask him, say, God, I want faith. I want to believe. And he'll give it to you. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, uh, um, the... Uh, <laughs> The beginning of the Christian life is just looking at Jesus, the man, God, come and dwelling among us, walking among us, inviting sinners to himself, speaking good news. And the question is to say, is that a man that you trust? Is this someone that you think is trustworthy? And if you think he's trustworthy, then embrace him, follow him, obey him. He says, follow me, believe in me. His commandments are believe in me so that you might love other people. And what will happen is as you embrace him, you'll have assurance certainty that he has washed you of all your sin and that when you go and you stand before God and uh, you know the list you imagine your whole life the piles and piles of ways that we've rebelled against God and we've hurt other people in our lives and that list is you know you're standing before God and it's being recorded it's being uh, you're giving an account for it you'll go down the list and everyone will say covered paid for forgiven washed all the way down. And you imagine this is going to be a public thing, by the way. The Bible says it's going to be judgment day. As we stand before God, will be a public event. And you imagine the load that comes off of you as every single sin that is listed is covered by the blood of Jesus. It's been accounted for. That's the offer. And the truth is that when you embrace that, when you believe that, 
it will soften your heart. The Bible says it will take, God will take your heart of stone and he'll give you a heart of flesh. And uh, your life will be new. And that's what God wants for us is the deep truth from before the foundations of the earth, love, that he wants to work that in your life. So will you believe? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you take your word and you'd speak to us assurance that uh, your commandments are not burdensome to us and that you would give us faith to embrace the gospel and that the gospel would work in us to love each other. And I pray for this church, that this church would become a place where we're so amazed by what you have done for us. We can't help but be forgiving and gentle and and, uh, generous with one another. And that people would see the love that we would have for one another and that they would know that we're your disciples. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.